0: Thanks for listening to A Little More Conversation. I'm Ben O'Haraburn. Tonight, this is one of my favorite end-of-the-year lists, 2023's most mispronounced words. Some of the words tied to this year's hottest topics were also among the most mangled when it came to saying them out loud. We find out what they were and why the English language in particular sets many of us up for failure when it comes to proper pronunciation. New numbers reveal that millions of Canadians continue to suffer from the effects of long COVID, most of them for six months or more, many for as long as a year, and most say not enough is being done to tackle the issue and help them. We find out what kind of progress is being made to both understand and help people suffering from long COVID. People in the public eye, such as TV anchors, have to grow a thick skin, but one particularly nasty email from a viewer crossed the line for Global Calgary's anchor Leslie Horton, so she took to the air soon after to call it out, a response that's been talked about and applauded right across Canada and North America. She joins me to explain what prompted that response and her reaction to the reaction to it. But first, we dig into a growing salmonella poisoning outbreak in this country linked to two brands of cantaloupe grown in Mexico. Five people have died and 129 people have been confirmed infected across six provinces, according to the Public Health Agency of Canada. We find out what you need to know to stay safe. Let's begin with with something that you should really know about. It's an update today from the Public Health Agency of Canada on that salmonella poisoning outbreak linked to two brands of cantaloupe. Uh, The agency now reports that five Canadians have died, 129 people have been confirmed infected across six provinces. Most of the cases happen to be in Quebec, but also Ontario, B.C., and three provinces in Atlantic Canada. That's nearly double the number of cases that were reported by PHAC back on December the 1st uh, when there was just a single death. Many of those impacted, and this is not a huge surprise, but many of those impacted are kids in daycare or seniors in long term care. The current outbreak has been has been linked uh, to contaminated malachita or Rudy brand cantaloupes. They're from Mexico. They've been they were sold in October and November, the ones that are under recall right now. Here's Alex Hexamer, Director of Outbreak Management, uh, the Outbreak Management Division at uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada.
1: We're asking people to check the refrigerators and their freezers um, to see if they have any of these products still in their in their homes. If they have fruit and they're not sure what the brand is, uh, we're asking them to throw it out.
0: Uh, there you have it. Salmonella, of course, is a bacteria commonly associated with raw undercooked chicken, but it can also be found in raw fruits and vegetables. Um, P. Hack, I mean, this is happening in the states as well. By the way, officials in the U.S. are also investigating an outbreak there that has killed three people and infected 230 people across 38 states. Uh, P. Hack here says cases in both countries are being caused by the same genetic strain of uh, Salmonella bacteria. Uh, meanwhile, I mean the stats are amazing on this. Salmonella infections account for an estimated 88,000 illnesses, nearly a thousand hospitalizations, and 17 deaths every year. Again, according to the Public Health Agency of Canada and One in four hospitalizations of all foodborne illnesses. Joining me now is Lawrence Goodridge. Uh, He is the he is with the he's a professor of food safety at the University of Guelph and director of Guelph's Canadian Research Institute for Food Safety. Thanks so much for taking the time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, This is, I mean, this one seems to have grown quickly. I've seen these outbreaks in the past, uh, but it seems like a major one and one of concern, obviously.
2: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The outbreak has been going on for at least two months. Um, And I say at least because um, there's a a delay between when people become ill and when public health officials know. So the first notification of the outbreak um, came in early October and it's likely people were were sickened uh, before then.
0: Yeah, I guess we don't have a clear idea either of just what what the illness toll could be because people with milder symptoms won't report, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So there's always a range um uh, you know of of uh, illnesses um and um we know for example with respect to uh to salmonella that um for every illness that we know about there are an additional 13 to 37 illnesses. Wow. So if you take that uh, 129 and multiply that by 13 and multiply also multiply 129 by 37, that will give you an estimated range of the true numbers of uh, cases in this outbreak.
0: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of us always uh, associate salmonella with stuff like raw chicken and so on. I hadn't thought of it in cantaloupe, but uh, clearly it's a problem.
2: Yeah, so here's... Um, some interesting facts about salmonella. It can actually contaminate virtually any food and has caused outbreaks in any food. So not to scare your, your listeners, but, you know, um, chocolate, uh, flour, um, fruits and vegetables, poultry, as, as you've said, um, poultry products like eggs, um, dairy products, um, you name it. Um, salmonella can actually contaminate and uh, and, and grow. And with respect to cantaloupes, uh, since uh, the year 2010, there have been five or six major outbreaks of, uh, of, uh, of um, salmonellosis linked to cantaloupes, mainly in the U.S. Um, but as we see here, this is a, a U.S. canada outbreak.
0: Do we have an idea of how it how it contaminates?
2: So we do have we do have an idea uh, based on previous outbreaks. Um and I suspect when the uh investigation is finished from for this outbreak um we'll, we'll likely see similar trends so there are several ways that uh cantaloupe, um can become contaminated, and it begins with um during growth um you know we we grow our fresh fruits and and vegetables, most of them outside um so animals can come in contact can can run into the field and can defecate. Birds can fly overhead and can defecate. Um, If there's an extreme rainfall event, um, then that can wash animal feces or manure from cattle, for example, onto the cantaloupes. Um, Once they're harvested, then um, they get washed at a a processing facility. Um, And we know that Multiple cantaloupes can become contaminated even if only a few are originally contaminated through the washing process. Uh, uh, so, and,
0: right.
2: Yeah. So these are these are all um, ways in which the uh, the cantaloupe can become contaminated. And I know that um, you know other other fruits have been um, recalled, um, so-called secondary recalls. So that includes fruits like uh, honeydew, pineapple, watermelon, and and various fruit trays. And that's because, um, you know, so we're talking about these fresh-cut fruit trays that you can buy in the grocery store. And that's because um, if they were processed at the same time, and that could include cutting, you know, the fruits into small pieces that you see in these mixed fruit trays, then um, those other fruits could become contaminated through a process called cross-contamination, where the same uh, instruments used to cut the 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 honey uh, the uh, cantaloupe, which then became contaminated, w- would then transfer the salmonella to the other fruits.
0: Right. I know this comes as it will come as no surprise to anyone, but I gather one of the issues with something like a cantaloupe is we don't we don't cook it. So so in other words, we we don't we're, we're vulnerable to being contaminated, to catching it, to 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 being infected because it's not cooked or it's never cooked. Right.
2: That is exactly right. So. You know, with meat, um, you know, even if there's salmonella, you mentioned, you know, most people would associate salmonella with poultry. Um, the re- one reason why we we need to cook our poultry to well done is because um, we do know that a lot of poultry contains salmonella, and if you cook it properly, um, it will kill the salmonella. But the problem with fruits and vegetables is we don't cook them. So, you know, we've seen, for example, E. coli with romaine lettuce. Same scenario. We don't cook the romaine lettuce. Um, and now we're seeing um, the salmonella, you know, with, uh, with these cantaloupes.
0: And and again, no surprise that it's kids, um, the youngest and the oldest, that are the most vulnerable in these situations often.
2: Yeah. So um, in any foodborne outbreak um, or, or any disease, really, um, but we'll, we're talking about foodborne outbreaks here, um, there's, there's several high-risk groups. Um, so, so I should say most people, healthy adults who get salmonella, do not need any treatment. The disease will revol- resolve on its own, typically after seven days or so. Um, it might be a a, um, a, a painful seven days, um, but but it would it would resolve. But with high risk groups, children under five years of age, the elderly, pregnant women, uh, and those with weakened immune systems. Um, they are more susceptible to the disease. And that's because in all cases it has to do with the immune system. And in right. children five years of age or younger, the immune system isn't fully formed. In, in the elderly, it's, it's breaking down. And then pregnant women and those with weakened immune systems, um, their immune systems are, are suppressed. So this means that uh, it's harder for the body to fight off the infection.
0: Lawrence, I guess, I guess, I mean, public health agency has been recommending this, but what should we do? Is it just a question of just throwing this stuff out for the time being better safe than sorry?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't know, you know, whether the cantaloupe you have or are, are, are come from the two brands, Malachita or Rudy, um, then the best thing is to throw it out. Um, and that includes whole cantaloupes as well as cantaloupe chunks. Um, and um, if, um, the same thing goes with uh, um, any of these uh, mixed fruit trays or so forth. Um, so if you, if you, the best thing is if you don't know the source um, or you can't remember the source, you can't remember where you bought it, uh, the best thing is to throw it out.
0: Right. And this goes back to October and November, if I remember correctly. That was when the, uh, the recall was out. I don't know what it, how it applies to December, but certainly October and November are covered by this.
2: Yeah, I mean the latest recall. Um, I think the last date uh, of any recall is November twenty fourth. So you know we're we're um, you know two weeks away after that. Um, the the number of cases have been decreasing. So I think I think likely um, the outbreak is is over. There might be a few more cases, as I said, because it takes a while before you know from the time someone gets sick until public health people know. About them, um I don't think we will see any so that would cover you know people who may have be sick now or, or previously that public health doesn't know about I don't think that we'll see any new outbreaks uh but regardless of that um, you know uh if if people feel uncomfortable and they don't know the sources it's it's best to throw throw up the uh the fruit
0: I know this is this is your field of expertise. is there anything that we can do? Uh, is there anything that needs to be done to try to prevent outbreaks such as this? I know how difficult it can be uh, but I, I imagine there are things we could tighten up perhaps to try to avoid these sorts of outbreaks
2: yeah uh, you know consumers unfortunately can't really do anything um, except for the fact that um, they can and really should um, wash their 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 fresh produce. Um, in the case of cantaloupes, you know, they should wash to remove any dirt and soil and so forth. Um, one thing um, from a previous outbreak that was suggested, um, and, and I note that uh, there are a number of people who have, have become sick or the elderly. Um, one, one thing from a previous outbreak that occurred a few years back that we learned was that the elderly often do not wash the um, cantaloupes because it's too hard for them to hold, hold the cantaloupe. Uh, right. you, you hold it in one hand and, and wash with a brush, scrub it with a brush. So one thing that I suggest is to put um, uh, the cantaloupe in, in a sink, in a colander, um, and you can boil water and pour it over the cantaloupe. The heat will kill the bacteria.
0: Oh, the heat will kill the bacteria. Because I guess sometimes we're lulled into thinking that something like a cantaloupe has a shell nearly, right? So that what's inside it would be protected from that kind of stuff.
2: And and, and that's, that is the case the issue comes with when one cuts through the shell. Ah, and and yes. so that knife, um, you know, carries what's on the outside into the flesh. And in the case of cantaloupe and other melons like honeydew, watermelon, the inside, it has lots of water, it has lots of nutrients, and the pH is around neutral. Those are perfect conditions for bacteria to grow. So another thing to do is if, if you buy a cantaloupe, um, and you and you cut it, cut it into pieces. Uh, th- they need to go into the fridge because at, at the fridge, at refrigeration temperature, bacteria like salmonella will not grow. And then um, they should be consumed as, as soon as possible.
0: Right. Uh, and and I gather what we and you've talked about this. What we are seeing is is more drug resistant salmonella as well. Like it's getting stronger too. And stronger might be the wrong term, but uh, we are coping with with different levels of salmonella poisoning now
2: yeah so there's another uh outbreak for example um right now in Canada that has been linked of sal of of salmonella that has been linked to raw pet food and and interaction with with calves that um strain of salmonella is known to be resistant to multiple antibiotics. This current outbreak we're discussing the cantaloupe um outbreak the the salmonella involved in this the, this outbreak does not seem to be resistant to to antibiotics, um, even when the Salmonella is seen to be resistant, so-called multi-drug resistance, um, it can still be treated with 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 antibiotics. It's just more difficult.
0: Right. Well, Laura, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your insight on this tonight. I know it's a it's sort of one of those things that people read and wonder what to do. So, thanks for offering some advice on it.
2: You're very welcome. Have a good evening.
0: This story really struck me this week. You know, part of learning about life in the public eye, including being on TV, for instance, is the need to develop a thick skin. Right away when you start, they tell you not to take uh, some of the comments and the, and the emails that you get, even letters back in the day, uh, too, too seriously. I mean, if it's, if it's constructive criticism, great. If they're telling you to, you know, slow down or that you got a fact wrong, great. Um, because you're not only the recipient of praise, but you're also the target of criticism, right? A lot of it is fair, by the way. But some of it isn't. Some of it is just downright cruel, nasty. It's not meant to inform or improve. It's just meant to inflict pain. Uh, Now, in my experience over 25 years in this business and having grown up in newsrooms, it's particularly true for women in the media. So often the attacks have little to do with the work itself that they're doing, the fine work that they're doing, but usually focuses on petty things such as the way they look, the way they dress, a haircut, you name it. The irony, of course, is that as a man in this business, I've seen almost none of that. Um, You know, the odd you probably shouldn't wear that jacket on TV or your tie is crooked or you should be wearing a hat outside in the winter because you look like you're really cold. Or why don't you have eyebrows? I got that one a few times. I'm blonde, so that's why I don't have eyebrows on TV. But that's about it. Pretty nice. Pretty genteel. But my mom was an anchor uh, back in the 80s and early 90s, and she used to get handwritten letters. Imagine, handwritten letters, envelope, stamp, and all. So someone took the time to write this, mail it, pay for it, to make sure that she saw it, commenting on stuff like a haircut. A lot of them, most of them, were about appearance. Um, Now, you might expect that those things might be relics of the past by now, but of course they aren't. And sometimes even the thickest of skins can be pierced. That was the case for Global News Calgary morning traffic show anchor, morning show traffic anchor Leslie Horton last week. She's been with the station since 1995 and been in this business longer than that, and she's received her fair share of unwanted, unwarranted, and unpleasant emails. But this one from someone who is a regular troll, in her words, crossed my line. She was about to go live last Thursday, about to be back on set, having just received a note um, that was very nasty. And again, she says she's developed a thick skin over the years, uh, but this feedback was really beyond the pale. And when she stepped back on camera, the frustration, the fury came out in a measured, crisp, and completely crushing reply. Have a listen.
1: Just going to respond to an email that I just got uh, saying, congratulations on your pregnancy. If you're going to wear old bus driver pants, you have to expect emails like this. So thanks for that. Um, No, I'm not pregnant. I actually lost my uterus to cancer last year. And um, this is what women of my age look like. So if it is offensive to you, that is unfortunate. Think about the emails that you sent.
0: Indeed. Uh, Now, she won't name the person, but says she's been getting emails from that individual for the past four years, a he. Uh, The reaction to her comeback has been nothing short of huge. Applauded from all corners, including a share on Instagram from actress Jamie Lee Curtis. Applause from Michelle Pfeiffer to that post. Uh, The Washington Post has covered it. So has Good Morning America, People Magazine. Uh, The New York Post's headline was a Canadian traffic reporter stopped a troll dead in their tracks when she issued a scathing response to an email criticizing her appearance. Uh, Again, others across North America, here in Canada, obviously. Um, And I was really interested in talking to Leslie about this because it's made, it was such an impassioned response and it really struck a chord with many people. And so Global Calgary's traffic and community anchor uh, for both the morning and noon shows, Leslie Horton joins me now. Thank you so much for your time
1: tonight. Ben, I'm so happy to be here. Big fan of yours. Thank you. And ditto. And
0: wow, I was just reading an article about you in the Washington Post. Not a wire copy, like a a full-on story about about this in the Washington Post. It really has resonated. And I can't imagine you thought that would happen when when it was happening.
1: Oh, I had zero thoughts when it was happening, Ben. It was one of those... Um, I, I was at my desk. I was getting ready to go on air for my traffic hit. I was eating a couple of grapes and this email came in. I recognized the name because this man, and yes, I've said it's a man, but uh, I'm not releasing the name. Uh, this man, I recognized the name. Oh, another email. Okay. And I read it and I just sort of had a visceral reaction that was like, wow, this one is like a pow. And then as we do, I put it aside. I ignored, I put it aside. I went into the studio the 10 steps away and I was standing there uh, ready to do my traffic hit. Tiffany finished the weather and I opened my mouth to start talking and those words came out. I had no idea they were gonna come out. I didn't plan them, I didn't prepare them. It was literally a reaction at a cellular level and apparently it was me finding my boundary of saying, you may not speak to me that way.
0: And, and, you know, and and for listeners to understand, I mean, I've obviously worked alongside women in this business for many, many years, and these sorts of comments are not new and they're not rare, sad as that is. Um, And I've watched colleagues over the years, including yourself, simply ignore them. And it's all about the thick skin and so on. But sometimes when you look at it, I've always thought if it critiques your work, fine. But if it's cruel, which this was that's not fine and it's tough and 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 i think it was i mean i, I can i can't imagine how difficult it was to let yourself get car- carried away and i mean that in the nicest of ways in that moment because everything about you is has been conditioned not to do that
1: everything about you is conditioned to just Take it in, absorb it, ignore it. And people say, well, just put it aside. Just, uh, you know, do this, just do that. When you've had uh, years and years of these things coming at you, and I agree, if you want to say, you know, I think that blazer is a little bit loud on TV, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I can talk about that. You want to, I do traffic reporting. You want to say, no, that car didn't crash on Deerfoot. Okay. Whatever. We can have that conversation. But if you are going to, over a period of years, as we was the case here dig and then dig and then dig some more and then finally sit there and come up to a 59 year old woman who lost her uterus to a public cancer battle and say ha ha you're pregnant point you know pointing out my gut i thought no no just no that is where my line is. You cannot cross it. And you are trying to shame me and humiliate me and make me feel bad. But you don't get to do that unless I play along and I've stopped.
0: I can. And also, I just just saying it and the, how you must have felt once you were done, too. Because, again, I don't think I don't think viewers understand just how much one gets into a comfort zone on air. And then when you break that comfort zone and say something that you know that personal to, to expose yourself in that way as well to expose your emotions in that way is is really tough and I know you you've talked about every measure of thing on air about your own life and about other people's lives and the charity work you do but that would have been I I can't I can't imagine what it was like when you were done you must have been I mean I think I've read that you were shaking and I I can understand I
1: was I shook for hours Ben I I shook for for hours and I think that's how deep that one went and after I said my piece I Uh, walked back to my desk, and the pings started, email, 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 email. So the reaction was literally instantaneous, and it was nonstop. And after a bit, it was like, oh, like there seems to be a theme in this feedback. And that theme seemed to be, number one, how horrendous that you would get an email like that in the first place. Well, let me tell you, war stories between female broadcasters, we got a lot to say. And then number two, good for you for finding your power and finding the courage. And I think, wow, I didn't have courage at the time. Like I wasn't thinking like, be brave, have courage, but it was courageous because it did impact me. And and that was the point that made me say, no, I'm taking my power back on this one. And the, the, the third thing that really struck me was, Thank you for being calm and coherent. And I'm like, was I? Was I? Because I don't know. Those words just came out. And then apparently it was calm and coherent.
0: Well, I mean, I, I I saw it. I think I saw it that afternoon. And I had thought, I mean, you know, you're a pro, right? So I had thought, wow, you must have jotted that down because it was came out so it, it was so coherent that it felt like it was done beforehand. And to hear that you had simply, it had simply emerged is, yep. is is impressive the 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 reaction to it too you must have been worried a bit about the reaction because sometimes you don't know what you've said right you've said you've yep. spoken from the heart and you don't know how it's going to land and that's mm-hmm. that, i mean i hate to say it this way but that can leave you exposed and and that's not a nice feeling on on live tv
1: and that has been um a, a little piece of my brain the the entire time because lots of people um, will will take an example of a moment like that, and they will just uh, turn around it and 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 punch it back at you. And that has happened. I I, I have had messages that said, uh, "Yeah, y- you know, if you didn't let yourself go and look like such a slob, then people wouldn't actually send you emails." And and um, you know, you look like you weigh two hundred pounds, and and when are you pushing that baby? There's been there's there there have been those messages there have been 99% from around the world, messages of support and women and men. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate my male colleagues who stand there right with us. And they say, horrendous that you get that email and they get nothing, or they get your ties crooked, or they get you know, uh, uh, just a a fraction of what women will get. So my male colleagues have been very supportive uh, to all of us females that deal with this. And my female colleagues from across the country, uh, amen sisters, because yeah, we've taken it and taken it and taken it and taken it. And maybe it's time to say, you have constructive feedback, you go ahead and send that to me. If you're gonna sit there and you're gonna plan darts, and, and send them my way. I would urge you to eat a Snickers and pet a dog and look at a tree before you set out to do something that the, the strict intention is to hurt. Cause I don't think we need to be there. I don't think we need to be at that, at that place in our lives.
0: I mean, I was telling you earlier, my mom was on TV when I was young, and this is before the days of email, and she would get handwritten letters, handwritten, I mean, and stamped and posted. I mean, this took time, and 90% of them were about, were about her appearance. I don't mm-hmm. like your hair. I don't like what you're wearing. And this was, I mean, like you, I mean, this is a dedicated pro at this job, and people – don't talk about their journalism, or maybe you should, you may, I wish you'd cast, you know, shine a spotlight on this charity as well, etc. It was about her hair and it just, yeah. it's, it's, and this was 35 years or 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just so, I find it so fundamentally depressing that this still happens, but it, that
1: it is going on for all of these years. And that's, yep. a, that's a theme in the feedback, Ben, is that 2023, this is where we are. At 2023, maybe we need to 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 uh, you know evolve a little bit. There's always going to be a segment of the population that I think just operates at that level of uh, you know uh, kapow. You know, biff, zoom, boom, 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 boom. That wants to operate on that level. I think that uh, that we can raise the level of communication. We all get emotional, and we all have, have moments where your your anger or your whatever is is riding high. But I'm your on your TV talking about Deerfoot traffic. Like, how angry could I possibly make you that you need to come at me again and again and again until you find my line? It's it's nonsense. It's unnecessary.
0: Global Calgary's Leslie Horton is with us this half hour. We're talking about, uh, well, I, I never like to use the word viral because we use it too much, Leslie, but your yeah. response to a trolls email, to a very unkind email, and not the first from this particular viewer over the years, um, her response last Thursday has been picked up and seen and applauded by people right around the world, including, uh, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jamie Lee Curtis articles in the Washington Post. It's been, it's and back at home, obviously, it's been, been it's very been, been heartening to watch. I was wondering, I, I noticed that your daughter too, Well, applauded you for this. And Mm -hmm. uh, being a child of of, of someone who is in the same shoes as you were, uh, you know, it is the kids are very protective of you, right? And it is tough for them to watch the criticism, even if your skin is thick, sometimes theirs isn't.
1: Right. So we have had many conversations over the years um, about uh, the things that people say that can be inappropriate. And I have shared with her emails in the context of this is a note that I received. Is this something I should pay attention to? Did this impact my life? Am I really a, you know, whatever name they wanted to call me? Or is this something that I can just put over there and say, that is that person's issue? So we've had lots of those conversations as I've tried to build a resilient, you know, uh, kid, a resilient teenage daughter. And then last year, she had a situation where someone was inappropriate to her online and she took it and she sat on it for a couple of days and she came to me and she said "Uh, this is what's been happening and I've decided that he may not speak to me that way and these are the steps that I plan to take about that and I just thought you go girl you go girl and she did what she needed to do to deal with that situation and I was very proud Because can you imagine being a teenager these days, being a young person and having all of this online uh, coming at you and this inappropriateness uh, coming at you? So I've seen her deal with it. She has followed this journey as well. I share these things, um, with her in the context of having conversations about appropriate behavior and inappropriate behavior. We are protective of each other, but, uh, she's, and she's a little spark plug, Ben. She's a spark plug like me. And sometimes spark plugs can spark reactions in people. So we need to be prepared for that. I've got tough rhino skin. She's got beautiful 18 year old skin. So we need to sort of, you know, build, build that up a little bit so that she can be prepared for people to come at her and say, you know what? I don't like you. That's okay. If you don't, you may not like me, but you may not be little and bully me.
0: It must be heartening to know because sometimes I think part of the problem is that, uh, that the feedback you get is negative and you forget how many people are out there just enjoying you enjoying mm-hmm. the work that you do and mm-hmm. sometimes it takes a moment like this to be reminded that the vast majority of people who turn on the TV and sit with you every morning and every noon uh love what you do and and it's the it's the rare minority the awful minority who will take the time to send in something nasty and maybe in some ways standing up to the to the troll is great and also a reminder that an awful lot of people just like to watch you
1: and i take that my commitment pretty seriously every single day that I need to, or I aim to impact somebody's life in a little bit of a positive way. Have I given them a chuckle? Did I make them spit out their coffee with something <laughs> I said? Did I give them some information that they needed? Did I give them something to think about. And at the end of the day, that's what I can bring to them, that connection. We are all here, we are all in this together, and we can have a little chuckle together, or we can have a moment of connection together. And you're absolutely right. I need to remember that on the daily, and not let me and uh, many around the world, and not let those, those other things become a distraction. I heard from a woman engineer who said that uh, she, she deals you know, with a lot of men and she finds it difficult for her voice to be heard. And I think maybe we need to realize that we don't yell to be heard. We can, we can use our voices to be heard, not in a, in a yelly, in a, in an angry way, but in a, in a dignified and classy way that might have a bit more of an impact. But then that comes back to courage and that comes back to having that support around you that can say to you, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, this was unacceptable, and you have every right to say, you may not.
0: Leslie, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much, Ben. I knew we would have a lovely, curious, kind, and thoughtful conversation, and we did. These
0: are stats that came out today from StatsCan that I found, I I wouldn't say they were shocking, but they were certainly sobering. About one in nine Canadian adults, they found, have had long term symptoms from COVID 19, according again to a Statscan report released today. That amounts to about three and a half million Canadians. That's a lot of people. Almost 80% of them uh, with long term symptoms have had them for six months or more, uh, the report said, including 42% that have had them for a year or more. And that is a long time. Just imagine the impact that has on lives, jobs, family, productivity, all of it. Um, Of course, long COVID. Is uh, known as post COVID 19 condition. Uh, The WHO says it's symptoms that persist for three months or longer after infection that can't be explained by anything else. Uh, More than half of those who've ever had long term symptoms still had them as of June 2023. Uh, The most common symptoms are brain fog, fatigue, shortness of breath, and so on. McMaster University long COVID researcher Manali Mukherjee says many scientists and doctors are trying to learn why some people are so badly affected and help them. She, too, uh, suffered from long COVID for about 18 months. Have a listen.
2: All of us are working towards understanding what are the different uh, biomarkers that are indicating who will remain having a sustained uh, issue and figuring out a way to treat them specifically.
0: Right. Uh, and this is also quite shocking two-thirds of Canadian adults who have tried to get healthcare services for their long-term COVID symptoms say they haven't received enough treatment or report or support rather that according to StatsCan as well well joining me now with more on this is Jason Tetro a microbiologist host of the super awesome science show author of the germ code and the germ files a familiar name to anyone who listens to this show or other shows on our network Jason thank you so much
3: hey great to be with you
0: Surprised at all by these numbers? I guess, I mean, to me, the one in nine mightn't have been that surprising, but when you add that up and you see that 3.5 million number, that's an awful lot of people.
3: Well, and that's sort of where we were heading in the first place was this whole idea of approximately 10% of people are going to have uh, post-acute sequelae of COVID or long COVID for at least a year or more. And so in that light, I'm not overly surprised. What I am surprised about, though, is that that's not actually the number of, that's not a percentage of the people who have actually been infected. That number is 20%, which means that if you have COVID or if you've gotten COVID, you have a one in five chance of having long-term symptoms. That's a bit more scary. (laughs) So in that light, it, it just kind of makes you start thinking, well, oh my goodness, you know, if I did have COVID, or if I had COVID, did I have anything else after those initial three weeks that may have been, um, you know, detrimental to my productivity, or maybe maybe feel a little bit out of place, or you know, like you were talking about the brain fog? Well, those things may have actually been contributed to by the virus that SARS-CoV-2 and
0: and what's i've always noticed because we've spoken to people who have suffered from long covid on the show is just the wide range of people that mm-hmm. it's impacted and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason it's not about age it's not about gender it's not about race it's not about it seems to have hit a, a whole wide breadth of people
3: Oh, yeah. And we're slowly starting to understand how this is happening. Um, we've been looking, uh, as you heard in the uh, at the top, uh, for biomarkers. And some of the biomarkers on the immunology side are hinting, and I will just say that very carefully, hinting that the virus may actually be persistent or there might be a reservoir of this virus somewhere in our mucosal layers. And so that could be in our intestines, it might be somewhere in our um, sinuses, it might even be in our eyes, and who knows where else. If there happens to be liquid on the inside of the body, there's a chance that there might be virus hanging out there. So in that light, depending on where the virus might be hanging out, you may end up with a whole different type of um, conditions or, or symptoms uh, in comparison to maybe another person who also has a long COVID, but isn't suffering the same way as you. That that variability is very concerning because it makes it very difficult for us to find one target.
0: Right. Or understand why one person would be impacted and someone else wouldn't. Has it lessened at all? Do we know whether incidents of long COVID have decreased uh, given that, as far as I can tell, and this is a non-scientific opinion, uh, that the severity yeah of COVID has decreased?
3: Yes and no. So when you happen to be vaccinated or if maybe you have been exposed, but maybe didn't get sick, you had that asymptomatic uh, type of infection, then there's a lower likelihood that you're going to end up with this kind of um, persistence and um, over exacerbation, if you will, of the immune system. Where it becomes problematic, though, is that studies have looked at how many people have been infected multiple times and how that has contributed to long COVID. And the more times you're getting infected, especially if you have not been vaccinated, the more likely it is you are going to suffer from some kind of long COVID. So this brings up a very important point. One, don't get infected, which is really a simple one. And two, if you are going to be in a situation where you don't really have a choice but to get infected, and I know people are going to be like, really? Does that occur? Yes, it occurs. Then vaccinate yourself so that you can modify the immune response so that you have a less likely chance of developing that long COVID.
0: You know, the other thing that I've been puzzled by about all this, too, is just the range of severity of those lasting symptoms. I and mean, we interviewed mm-hmm. uh, a doctor from Montreal, and this is someone who used to, you know, very active. You obviously worked on. I think it was it was in child oncology, in pediatric oncology. So she was, you know, mm-hmm. one of those people who just worked hour after hour after hour. And COVID, the long COVID thing, absolutely failed her. She couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. And I was, I, and yeah. I just thought that was, yeah. I mean, that that was an extreme case, but but wow, what what a what a wake up.
3: Uh, absolutely, and we have found that when you're looking at people who are suffering from these long COVID symptoms and you are seeing this sequelae going on for longer and longer, if you had any kind of pre-existing conditions that maybe you didn't even know about, then there may be a chance that you will have um, an even greater amount of suffering as a result. Now, we know about obesity. We know about diabetes. We were talking about that during the COVID years. But the thing is, is that there may be other concerns. So if you happen to have cardiovascular problems, you know, it's we, we call it the silent killer, right? Well, it's also the silent creeper. And as a result of that, you may end up having much more exhaustion. You may have almost like a chronic fatigue if the virus does find its way into your nervous system, you're going to start having a much greater problem when it comes to your ability to think and, and to function cognitively. And even if that's not the case, if you have a high level of inflammation, I don't know about you, but every time I get sick with some kind of virus, my brain just doesn't work (laughs) because I've got that fog from the inflammation. So you know, we're going to see a variety of different types of symptoms and different severities based on individuals. And again, it's a moving target that's so hard to be able to identify.
0: Yeah. I know you were listening to the, um, to the Clip from COVID researcher uh, Manali Mukherjee Mm -hmm. earlier, and she was talking about there being sort of a you know some cause reason for hope uh, that in fact there is research going on and that uh, this continues. I guess we're just not hearing about it as much because clearly a lot of people have sort of turned away from from talk of COVID now.
3: Well, that's part of it. I I think the other part is. Because we now understand that overstating things in the public ends up becoming very bad for us, (laughs) we want to be absolutely sure that we're saying something correct. Because I'm being very vague in my discussions about mucosal. I could also simply say that, you know, people who have long COVID have high levels of a particular um, antibody called IgA. And as a result of that, well, it has to be mucosal, but that would be completely wrong in many ways. And so what you have to do is you have to sort of make sure that what we're doing in terms of the work to be able to understand long COVID and then to be able to treat long COVID is done so that when we have breakthroughs that we're very comfortable with, then we can go. And I'll just give you one example of that. You've heard of the microbiome, correct? Mm. Like, you know, all the, all the microbes that exist inside of us. Well, it looks yep. like people with long COVID may have a shift in their microbiome. But the fact is, is we don't know how to restore a healthy functioning microbiome to start with, so we don't know how to be able to help. So there's a number of other sort of outside of COVID research mechanisms going on that are eventually going to sort of flow into this and help us. But it may be another three to five years, as long as the funding is there, just you have to say that,
0: indeed, Jason. One of the things that I was interested in too is that, of mm-hmm. course, and this is probably not a surprise, uh, because chronic illnesses, and we we did a whole thing about disabilities recently. Um, this sort of mm-hmm. this these sort of things are not tailor made for the healthcare system to take care of. So a lot of people were complaining that there just wasn't enough help for them out there when they went to seek it.
3: Oh, absolutely. First off, long COVID kind of took us all by surprise and then after we we all figured okay well people are recovering from it so maybe this is just an elongated uh period of time and we've seen this with measles and we've seen this with uh influenzas so maybe that's the problem but it it wasn't there there obviously was something going on and when that happened it all of a sudden became very very um evident that something needed to be done to be able to help these individuals. Now, we have developed uh, post-COVID-19 recovery centers across the country, and in British Columbia, there is actually the post-COVID-19 interdisciplinary clinical care network. And the reason that that's important, and everyone who's listening has to realize this, they're teaching the healthcare providers how to help long COVID survivors. And, and and that means that there is a huge gap in knowledge out there, and these networks are going to be helping doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, you name it, to become up to speed with how they can help. But at this point, we don't have that yet.
0: Do you get the sense? Because I was thinking back um, to when chronic fatigue syndrome first appeared and was first being talked mm-hmm. about, and there was a stigma around it. People didn't really necessarily believe people saying, "You know, I'm just not right." And I, I sense that maybe a bit less so because of the pandemic. But I sense that that long term COVID is also that long COVID is also encountering some of that same stigma these days.
3: Yeah. Uh, it, it it's actually with a number of different viruses. Uh, we see the same thing with uh, persistence in West Nile virus. We see this with persistence in Ebola virus. We see this with persistence in now uh, SARS-CoV-2. If you have a, or, and by the way, for chronic fatigue syndrome, just so we've got it clear, uh, Epstein-Barr virus. When you have persistence of a virus inside of the body, what it means is that it's very difficult for us to be able to identify it because it's hiding in some place we don't have very rapid access to. And unfortunately, what ended up happening is people would end up with these symptoms that would immunologically show that they had this persistent infection. However, we couldn't find it, and therefore, Eh, who knows? And that is where the stigma started happening, because people essentially were just being accused of faking it. Believe it or not, that was the same thing with AIDS. And yet we could actually see the virus. But -hmm. people just didn't want to believe that someone who had HIV was going through all of these problematic issues with acquired immunodeficiency syndrome simply because, oh, well, they're probably just faking it. I mean, this is the type of thing that we ended up seeing. So it's not new, but it's just as sad.
0: Is For those out there listening, because clearly, statistically, there must be. Um, yeah. What do you tell them? There must be, I, I think there is, we are figuring this out, I gather. Uh, so there must be a little bit of light at the end of this tunnel.
3: Yeah. So, as I said, probably in the next three to five years, we're going to have a much better grasp of what's going on. And within, I'd say, the year 2024, we're going to start making some of those um, leaps. Uh, that, and you're going to hear this a little bit more in the media and stuff like that. We're we're getting to that point. I think, though, if you are currently suffering, the the there are going to be ways to be able to find some help, again, with these recovery centers, but another thing that would be really good to do is just simply start reading, um, in, in getting a little bit of that scientific literacy, because there is a lot of information out there in the scientific literature. And if it is confusing or you don't seem to have you know, a full grasp of it, there are going to be people like myself and a number of other people who are out there who speak both languages, English and scientific geek, and we'll be more than happy to help you to understand what's going on so that you can understand what may be happening to you. It may not be your situation 100%, but if you can get a general feel for it, it definitely helps. Um, I, the reason I found that out is because I had to sort of research that for one of my books. You know, how do you help someone who has a chronic infection? And the reality is, is when they know what's going on in their bodies, it tends to help.
0: Jason, as always, thank you for setting some light on this. It's always appreciated.
3: Oh, it's such a pleasure to be talking with you. Unfortunately, the subject matter, not so much. Amazing.
0: Oh. Wow, it's Willem Dafoe. That's right. Since Willem Dafoe has more bones in his face than most people have in their entire body, he's perfect for carving, because the angles are so sharp. It's beautiful, Peter.
2: Yeah, I just love William Dafoe. It's
0: not William, it's Willem.
2: Yeah, that's what I said, William. He was in Spider-Man with Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst.
0: Right, Kirsten Dunst. It's not Dunst, it's Dunst. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst in the movie. She dated
2: William Dafoe's son.
0: Spell it, Joe! Spell what you are saying right now! Well, I'll give it a shot. K Y R.
2: Look, there's a reason I became a cop and not a Spellman. A what? A Spellman. Spellman is not a thing, Joe! Sure it is. Fireman, longshoreman, Spellman.
0: Stop me when I'm wrong. He's getting too many right. Now I'm starting to think there is such a thing as a Spellman. Hey, guys! Check it out! It's Groot! Oh, yeah! From that Marvel movie! (laughs) Ah, <laughs> uh, Family Guy, always <laughs> the Marble movie. Um, so there you have it. I mean, it's common to mispronounce things, and people sometimes get all get, you know all twisted up about it. Uh, but the most mangled words of 2023, uh, one of my favorite lists, is compiled by the Captioning Group in the U.S. and the British Institute of Verbatim Reporters of the U.K. I don't know who they are, but they sound fancy. It identifies the top words that news anchors, politicians, and other public figures struggled with over the past year. It runs the gamut from science to entertainment to politics politics uh the american and british lists are a bit different but there's a lot of links on the entertainment front SZA was right up there sza i didn't know that one when i saw it first um oppenheimer lead actor killian murphy that one was mangled this year apparently uh republican presidential nominee hopeful uh vivek ramaswamy I'm, i probably got that wrong it's vivek it's Vivek ramaswamy i believe uh all made it so did the hawaiian volcano kilauea and fat, late fashion uh icon Karl Lagerfeld's cat, These were all things that were up there, including names like Ozempic, that was a new one, the Stone of Schoon, which looks like the Stone of Scone, but it's actually pronounced Schoon. that came up during um, the coronation of King Charles III, Uh, Nepo Baby, because it's nepotism, and Padam Padam, which was a Kylie Minogue song that apparently is the sound of the heart beating, but when you look at it, it's P-A-D-A-M, P-A-D-A-M, which could be I don't know. I mean, I I think it's padam padam. Well, to figure this all out, joining me now is Kristen Denlinger. She's a lecturer in linguistics at the University of Texas in Austin. Kristen, thank you so much.
4: Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So uh, it's interesting to see. I mean, certainly a 2023 list will focus on words that were new. And mispronounced right. in 2023. It's an interesting list, though. I mean, and the, the difference between the British list and the American list is also pretty interesting. But but there are some there are some real tongue twisters in that in this one.
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. For me too. I mean, Choupette. I'm not a French speaker, so yes.
0: <laughs> That one was easy for me. as for I I you, French. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, but but I mean, SZA. I, I, I mean, you just need to know. I remember years ago listening to French radio in Montreal, where I grew up, and they announced this great Australian band called Inks, and I'm like, Inks,
4: who's that? <laughs> and it was
0: in excess, of course, right? But if you didn't know the acronym, you didn't know how to use it, right?
4: You have to be in that in group. You have to be cool enough to know how to say it, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> But, but I mean, this year, I think what was interesting is how many of the words, and Shoupette's a good example, we've become so globalized that we're seeing a lot more words from, I mean, not that other words haven't always influenced the English language, but we're having to pronounce a lot of words that mightn't be familiar if you just read them.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think something that's interesting about this list is uh, thinking about how tricky English spelling is and how poor English spelling is at actually giving you clues about how to pronounce things from other languages that have sounds that maybe you're not used to. Um, And this is something that's Obviously, globalization is going to change the uh, frequency with which we're experiencing words in other languages. But, you know, English has been borrowing words from other languages from a very long time. And that's one of the reasons why spelling English spelling in particular is actually very, very uh, misleading. So you think about words like uh, tsunami. Right. So this is a word where we have that silent letter and we don't know where it comes from, but we know it's just pronounced with an S there. And it's because the the language that it borrowed from Japanese has a sound in it that we don't have in English, right? It has that tss, uh, right.
2: similar
4: to our Ch, right? Uh, so we take words from other languages and we uh, adopt it to the sounds that we're familiar with. And this is true with all languages. Whenever there's borrowings, uh, we simplify sounds so you know uh, borrowing in the other direction if you go to Japan McDonald's is going to be uh Mac-a- Right. right
0: my dong Lao in Beijing right it're yeah, yeah, phonetic go. it's phonetic yeah, but it but it yeah. doesn't really mean much they know what it means yeah you
4: know? right right exactly they know what it means um and so that's just a, a feature of language where you have things changing all the time in language but often the spelling system isn't going to reflect that because spelling is just a man-made way to encode language uh, it's not going to change along with that language unless there's a conscious decision to change it. And so you have all these uh, old spellings in English uh, that are are really misleading. And when you're just looking at the the written system, it doesn't give you a ton of clues about how to pronounce something like that. Yeah. By Burn,
0: Ex- yeah, like my like my family. <laughs> Indeed, <Right>. one <laughs> of the things that 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 and also whenever I look up a word, uh, I've never really been able to make much sense of. You know, they'll often give you a, a phonetic. Spelling it right. beside it to help you. I've right. never been able to figure those out. I don't know if it's They're just very me. very but... tricky.
4: <laughs> okay. um, so linguists have actually a system that you have to learn called the uh, IPA is a widely used uh, phonetic spelling system, the International Phonetic Alphabet. And that's very helpful for me. I do recommend learning the IPA uh, if you're going to actually try to pronounce something. But uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, and other than other systems that are specifically designed to be phonetic systems, there's a lot of variation. And so, yeah, looking at this list, you have to have enough familiarity with a name to actually learn how to say it uh, if it doesn't have that you know, obvious one-to-one correspondence, or if it's you know unfamiliar to you, if it's coming from a language that uh, has sounds and conventions that are different from what we're used to, or if it's a family name, right? Where uh, a lot of the times those names, uh, people have uh, a really specific way that they want it to be be pronounced. Like I really liked uh, the Travis Kelsey example because yes. I hadn't heard of this controversy within the Kelsey family right? That Travis and his brother pronounce it Kelsey, but the father pronounced it Kels. And there's, you know, it kind of comes down to who has authority in language, who has authority in saying, you know, this is a mispronunciation because there is a right way to say it. It really just has to do with speakers. And so that's why names for people and places, uh, or maybe even scientific names are really uh, special in this way. And why you see a lot of them ending up on this kind of list is because there's somebody that has that authority that says this is the right way to say it.
0: Yeah. Or, or just, you know, just just habit. I mean, I, I think in the case of, of the Kelsey, I'll use, I'll use Kelsey since that's what we all use. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at some point, dad just said, I got sick of correcting people. So I'm like, you want right. to call me that? Go ahead. I, when I first came back to North America, I'd been living in England. And I was, I was an anchor and I used to pronounce the uh, city in northern Washington state as Bellingham. And people are like, what are you talking about? It's not about Bellingham, it's Bellingham. And I'm like, right, of right. course, you know, like Birmingham, right? Instead of Birmingham. Right. Uh, and it's just one of those things that you get used to. A Killian Murphy was a big one. I remember as a yeah. kid hmm. uh, being a Banana Rama fan. I'm an 80s kid, so being a Banana Rama fan and trying to figure out who this Siobhan Fahey may have been. And then some, my mom was like, right. it's, it's Siobhan. I'm like, really? Right. And it's right. just you're just not familiar right so you just don't I know the
4: same thing with Sersha Ronan and right. it's, it's funny because when Sersha Ronan was in it was in Ladybird, it was you know she obviously had been around and there are people named Sersha around that spell it in the same way there's a convention in Ireland that that's how you say that name but it wasn't until she became you know kind of on In the American zeitgeist or the Canadian zeitgeist or a more global zeitgeist, that people had more reason to figure out how to actually pronounce that
0: name. Yeah. It was funny to see things come up again. I mean, we had the coronation, right? So the big one, right. uh, the Stone of schoon, which of right. course looks like the Stone of Scone, which is a right. super cool word, but it wasn't <laughs> yeah. the Stone of Scone, which I thought that's amazing. It's like a little bun, you know, but it wasn't Stone it of schoon. Stone. So things kind of pop back up from history that, that we have to refamiliarize ourselves with.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And that one actually, I believe, kind of goes back to this idea that language is constantly changing and spelling doesn't necessarily reflect that, right? So we have all of this English spelling where another example I really like is um, knife. So knife, we have silent K in the beginning of it. And you're like, where did that K come from? Uh, It's because there used to be a a K sound uh, in an very old uh, uh version of English uh that uh that fell out of uh, uh practice but the spelling stuck around and so, so I think it was
0: I, it was knife once
4: like those sounds still exist in in German right. but I think that the scone one also vowels change. Vowels are one of the most uh, frequently changing sounds uh, across dialects and across languages. So I think the stone of scone, skoon, is Spoon. one of those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: what are your favorite, some of your favorites? I've been often guilty of saying anyways instead of anyway, and have been corrected mm-hmm. more than once for doing it, mm-hmm. uh, much to my shame. But there are a lot <laughs> of things that we just sort of commonly mispronounce, and then they become... They sort of become lingua franca that we could use them as much as we want.
4: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, language is changing constantly. There's a lot of also words that are controversial. So the gif, gif. Right. Controversy, right? I don't know. Are you a gifter or a? I, I think
0: I think I'm a GIF, I think, but okay. I, but I'm 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 older now, so these are things that I that I stand corrected right. on at all times.
4: Right? Yeah. So it's I mean it's funny that when we have that variation, uh, you know, it goes it goes back to this idea of who's the authority in language. It's just the speakers right? Um, so there's no right and wrong way to uh, pronounce certain things. And you end up with this tension between um, ambiguity between, you know, our GIF and GIF, our data and data. And eventually they're going to start associating themselves with certain groups of speakers because how we speak really is about how we identify and the, the way in which we speak, the words that we choose are really connected to uh, how we identify and how we want to present ourselves externally. Yeah. So yeah, maybe your your GIF is.
0: Aging you, I don't know. It is perhaps. What well, I mean, it, 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 you know, the English tend to think because it's because of their because of their status within our language, they tend to think of their word as 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 the one. So you'll get right. into that argument over aluminium and aluminum, and you're like, well, we call right. it aluminum. So what's it to you, you know, right? Right. But it becomes <laughs> right. an issue. Exactly. um you, you pointed out something really interesting, and that's that I mean, when it comes to names, you just you should just ask. Or, you know, you should always be as you yes. know, impolite enough just to say, how do you pronounce that? Um, right. But you said that it's not all about it's not about hitting it every single time. It's not about scoring a 10 on 10 every time. It's about progress and showing effort.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more you're exposed to a certain name, especially one that's hard to pronounce or one that you haven't encountered as much, the easier it's going to be to pronounce. You think about um, names of people that have maybe difficult pronunciations, difficult spellings, Dostoevsky and um, you know names that are um, that you've been exposed to enough and have had enough practice that maybe even they have sounds that you don't make in any other uh, part of of your use of language. So yeah, the more you can practice, uh, the more you are exposed to a certain sound. There's no limitations with the sounds that you're able to make. Uh, it's just about exposure.
0: Yeah, you bring up an interesting thing. I did a, a, a sort of a, an oral book report when I was in uh, when when I was in high school on a book I love called Darkness at Noon by what I thought was mm-hmm. Arthur Kessler, and I did mm-hmm. the whole thing before the teacher finally said to me, "By the way, it's Kessler." I'm like,
4: "Oh no, mm-hmm. oh no!" But, but this,
0: the one thing that's interesting about today is that because of things like YouTube, you can mm-hmm. pretty much find how anything is pronounced. I mean, it wasn't yeah. true back back when, uh, but nowadays, if you're interested in how something is pronounced, you can basically look it up. In a matter of minutes,
4: yeah, absolutely. You don't even have to know the international phonetic alphabet. No. <laughs> you just have, to have it the internet.
0: Exactly. Do you have some favorite some favorite mispronunciations? Uh, that that I mean, you must. You're a linguist, but I suspect, <laughs> like sure everyone, is. you must mispronounce the odd word. And do you oh, have any, any favorites as well?
4: Mm, uh, let's see. I mean, I do like uh, data data. I feel like people yes. have a lot of strong opinions about data data, um, and all of the. I mean, the British pronunciation British pronunciations I think are very fun to me uh because I'm exposed to them less so um the aluminiums yeah uh so those are always very fun but yeah I mean like anybody it's uh there is no right or wrong way to use language and we just have baggage attached to how we say things in certain ways so uh maybe we, the choices that we make about how to pronounce things maybe i'll if i want to be fancier i will use british pronunciations um or if i want to fit in if i'm you know talking to british people and i'll start saying aluminium uh, uh,
0: I, I dare yeah. you to go to, to, to i dare you to go to the local <laughs> local grocery store and ask yeah, exactly. for a roll of aluminium yeah in here
4: Austin. in texas it's a little different yeah here yeah. in texas actually some of my favorite um pronunciations here in Texas are What seemed like just butchering of Spanish words, like the Rio Grande and uh, Guadalupe. Guadalupe Street is a big one here in Austin. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's just part of this Tex-Mex culture down here. So, you know. It's there funny.
0: is no right or wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, you know, 2024 is going to look like just like 2023 when it comes to the new things that we have to learn how to pronounce and come to terms right. with and fight over. One of mine too, because I grew up in Montreal in French, is is croissant. I'm like, what is a croissant? <laughs> but I get I get in trouble for that one because like they're like, people are like, don't be such a snob. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, yeah croissant, right? But yeah, people are like, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thanks there, yeah. uh, kid who grew up in French. <laughs> thanks, right. Yeah. Lesson. You got to want. You don't want to be too... You don't want to be an absolutist about these things because it drives right. people nuts as well. I can understand in my job, obviously, I get letters saying you mispronounced that because people expect a certain diligence on on my part. But sure. I try not to do that to anybody else. Like I, you know, maybe you subtly correct if you want, but really, at the end of the day, you should just leave people alone.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's really that's really the moral of the story is leave people alone. Learn how to say "says" and leave people alone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or "jif," exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, Kristen, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to talk to you.